Welcome to the Low Carbon Business Podcast, the home of future thinking enterprise. For the innovators, the dreamers, the grafters, the progressive entrepreneurs, business is changing. It's taking more responsibility for its impact on the environment. With smaller firms being a creative wellspring for this shift, more and more SMEs are showing that being green is good for business, as well as doing good for the planet. We discuss global challenges from a local perspective, explore green technologies, new business models and sustainable supply chains. Tune in for useful tips, insight and information about how to improve your bottom line whilst making a positive impact on the planet. Let's jump in. For decades, the house building sector has given us poorly built houses that are costly to heat and emit high levels of carbon dioxide. Under new government regulations, new build homes must produce around 30% less CO2, so we need more innovation in the sector. Positive homes build energy efficient, affordable houses and seek to innovate in every area design, foundations, building fabric, fit out, energy generation, surfacing materials, and the environment. Their commitment to research helps them develop better ways to build and heat our homes. Managing Director Martin Valentine spoke to us about their commitment to new methods of building and the positive steps they're taking to improve the future of housing. Uh, Hello, my name is Martin Valentine. I'm the Managing Director of Positive Homes. Uh, We are an eco-house builder uh, based just south of Nottingham in the East Midlands. How do we get involved with decarbonising? That's a very interesting question, and I can't actually remember. <laughs> this is the simple answer. Somewhere along the line, we met the team, probably at an event or somewhere like that, and, and we got chatting and said, so we really must do something in the future. And then they kind of came along and went, oh, we, we, we're doing this thing. You know, you should take part in this. In this. Like, okay. Um, and, as, and as it happened, it was, it was the timing was perfect because we had – a sort of specific thing we wanted to get our teeth under as a sort of prelude to a, a bigger thing coming up. Um, and they said, oh, yeah, we can go away and do some research on that for you. I said, well, that's handy because we were going to do it ourselves. So <laughs> brilliant. you know. And actually, that means someone who actually knows what they're talking about might do it rather than me. Um, so I'm all ears. So so it kind of happened almost by accident. And I sort of can't, it's a bit lost in the midst of time now. But, but you know, they came across very, very credibly and professionally. And so I was more than happy to let them... Uh, Try and make sense of what we're doing. Brilliant. And and how how was the how's how was the experience? What's it been like sort of being involved in the project? Well, the experience with the with the university team uh, was really good. Actually, they were they were um, you know I don't want to sort of disparage any university type people, but they came across very business like. They're trying to say we, we're we're tangibly trying to understand what you're doing as a business rather than just treating this as a kind of academic exercise for the sake of it. Uh, and I think that made me warm to them. I thought, ah, oh, right, so at the back end of this, stuff's going to spew out of it where I can actually say, you know, this is better for you, better for the planet, save you some money, you know, gives you a better marketing angle, all those kind of things. So that, right, well, okay, well, that's worth running with then. Um, especially as they said they do it for nothing so I was very grateful for that um, but we were probably some sort of thing we would have paid for anyway at some point because you know how you do you know if we're serious about doing net zero carbon housing um, which is what the government says it wants and what you know the, we all seem to think we want then you have to actually understand how to go about doing that 
you know, and, and they seem to gra grapple with that. They said, oh, well, we're going to do this as a proper exercise where, you know, you can have tangible things at the end of it, which you can then apply instantly rather than, well, you know, there's here's some numbers and here's some stuff and uh, I don't know, you know. So, yeah, I think professionalism and, and sort of business acumen was the, the key thing that attracted me to them. Brilliant. Awesome. Okay, we're going to, I'm going to start, we're going to start looking at saving money is the first bit that we're going to look at. And actually, we're going to start talking about energy because I think we're going to talk about decarbonizing. I think energy is always a, a sensible place to start. It's probably the place which has the, the area that has the most carbon impact in most businesses. But what do you think are the main incentives for businesses to invest in their energy efficiency? Well, I mean, it, there was an incentive anyway, but now you're seeing, you know, electricity prices, gas prices. Uh, I think the the business going on in Ukraine with the Russians are sort of really focused minds on, um, you know, this isn't just some sort of airy fairy. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we did something for the planet kind of environmentalist thing? This is actually tangible and real now. And, you know, we've got to get ourselves off fossil fuels, not just because fossil fuels are bad, but because fossil fuels are bad because of where they come from. You know, there's, it's, it, there's a, there's a lot, I think it's been really interesting in the last year, certainly in 2022 as the, the, the whole agenda around fossil fuels bad for the planet and fossil fuels in terms of geopolitics uh, and how you are as a nation run yourselves and who you are, who you're enthralled to. I've really done that and they've really merged together in a way that they probably weren't. We all knew that was the case beforehand. But now as a business, you look at yourself and say, yeah, we've got to be we've got to find a way of, of not being reliant on something that ultimately is finite and ultimately is going to get more expensive. You know, solar power doesn't get more expensive, really, because the sun shines. And in fact, you know, we're, the day we're speaking here, you know, it's bakingly hot and the whole week's going to be bakingly hot. And if, if we had solar panels on my house where I'm talking to you from, um, which we don't, unbelievably, um, then we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be happy as Larry, you know. But, um, you know so it's, it's a it's a cash thing because uh, because it's a planet thing, you know. It's it's no longer oh it's going to cost me money to do this. It's not going to cost you money. You can easily do the cost benefit analysis of in, an investment of X produces a a saving of Y. I mean that's not terribly difficult to do. And then it's simply a question of well you know do you have the money up front to do the capital investment or not. Because you can clearly see the revenue benefits. That's pretty easy to work out, you know. And this applies equally. Just it's not just businesses. This applies to people at home as well. It's like, can they afford to buy batteries? Can they afford to put solar panels on their houses? Can they afford to have air source heat pumps? All those kind of things. And as a house builder, we're kind of a bit of both. You know, we're we're thinking about who we're selling to, and we're also thinking about us as a company as well. So it all kind of merges together. We've been doing this for years. You know, it's just we just the kind of time has arrived now where everyone's gone. Hmm, maybe they had a bit of a point. Well, a cash cash aside and the initial investment to do this, what what else stops businesses from investing resources into lowering their carbon footprint, and in in particular, looking at energy? Well, certainly in, in our in my business in in house building, um, I mean it is one of, if not the most conservative industry going. I mean, we still build houses the same way we did a hundred years ago, uh, and. All the all the various improvements that have been made to the fabric of buildings have been the how the main house builders have been dragged kicking and screaming to that. You never see them going, please can we have higher standards to work to? You know, um, 
the the story I was once told was uh, one of the big house builders. Again, this may be an urban myth, but they hired in some consultants to say, "How do we build to this higher standard?" This was when we had the code for sustainable homes before that got nixed by the government. And they said, "Oh, good news! We figured out how we can um, build. You're currently building to code three. Uh, we could we figured out how we can build to code four for the same money as code three. To which the boss said, that's brilliant. That means you, you can also figure out how I can build to the current standard of code three for less. So can I have that, please? And that kind of cynicism, that kind of deep-rooted cynicism of just chuck it up, do the minimum you can get away with. You know, I mean, the idea that a new house would be built today without solar panels on the roof, when you've got the scaffolding and you've got all the kit there and you've got the ability to buy at scale, um, it just seems absolutely mad. And yet it isn't the law of the land that you have to do that. So because it isn't the law of the land, the house, the big house builders are like, well, we won't bother them. Uh, I just think, well, that's just so complacent. It's just so lazy. You know, it's, it's you know, you can buy at bulk and, and fit these things for a couple of thousand quid, you know, and, and it, but it's this constant trade-off between how much do I spend to build the product versus well, where does it, who gets the benefit? And the answer is not you. The answer is whoever buys the product off you gets the benefit. So the house builders are very much, well, why would I do that? Why would I spend £5,000 making it more energy efficient when the homeowner is going to get a benefit of £500 a year? I don't get a benefit unless I can sell that house for, for what I, the extra I've paid for it plus a bit more on top. So they take that very cynical view, which is like, unless I'm required by law to do something, I ain't doing it. Mm. Um, and you have to you have to abandon that and say no 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 that's a very short sighted way of looking at it. Um, and we've always said, look, the answer is not to say to treat these things as extras. You treat these things as essential parts of the built the fabric of the building. And then you say, okay, if I need to save money, let's save money by being innovative elsewhere. Let's let's not let's not say, well, I can just cut that and cut that and cut that. So saying, well, how much does it cost me to do X? Today, for example, we've just started putting scaffolding up and I'm, we're looking at it going, how do, we, how do we not have scaffolding? That would be wonderful because it's a pain. You're forever having to adapt the thing. It's just money. Uh, so can you put houses up without scaffolding, for example? You know, can you put houses up without digging great big trenches in the ground and pouring concrete in? You know, how do you actually go about systematically looking at every single bit of the process you do and, saying, and, and trying to find better ways of doing it and then you spew out the number at the end and says, oh, there you go. Look, I can build a house to an amazing standard for the same money or less money than I would have done if I just chucked it up out of bricks. And that's where our attitude is. And I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be everyone else's attitude too, really. And I love the fact that you say attitude and it is an attitude and mindset. Um, and a few key bits that you come up there is about the changing of mindset. The interesting about the, the market that you work in and the industry, I, I don't know lots about it, but it you know it flips from buyers buying and sellers markets. And at the moment, you know, you, I think it's quite easy to sell houses and, and sell them without these things because so people are so desperate for houses. But it's yes. that infinite and finite mindset. And you, you sound like you you've got a, an infinite mindset. You're thinking about multiple generations. You're thinking about your environment, and you're also thinking about what's the right thing. Thing to do and that's i suppose a, a social dilemma that we could we could actually record a whole podcast about that so there's some really <laughs> amazing points you brought up there i suppose um i'll point this directly back at you now and, and it'd be interesting to know about how do you measure your carbon footprint within your organization well it, it's quite this is where it gets quite tricky because our organization as such is a very very small one very deliberately so um, so we are, I'm talking to you from my dining room table. Um, you can't 
you can't see her, but my wife, who we work together, is sitting on the other side of the table, and that's our office. Actually, we have an office in the house, but for some reason we don't use it. We always sit around the table. Um, we have um, one other full-time employee. Um, everybody else is is uh, our other organisations that we work with in partnership, and we bring them in as and when we need them. So in terms of our, if you're talking about it in very, very strict terms, our carbon footprint is basically this, this house and, and travelling to and from where we go to. So... There's only so much you can do about that. You know, you can swap out your petrol car for an electric car or something like that. And, uh, you know, we, uh, funnily enough, we've spent the weekend talking a lot about our, our boiler is basically, a, you know, on its last legs. It's 12 years old. It probably needs replacing. So is this the point when we jump to batteries and solar? And the things we've been fitting in our own, in the houses we build, it's like we actually fit one in our own house, you know, and that will give us a better footprint ourselves. And therefore there's a knock-on effect into the business. But that's really not the point. And what we're really interested in is, you know, the carbon footprint of the houses we build, which is where you have the most planetary impact ultimately. So, and then it's a question of, all well, what, what carbon footprint are you measuring? So are you measuring the ongoing footprint of the, of the house in operation? Or are you talking about the embodied carbon that goes into the structure? Um, and the answer, of course, is you're talking about both to a large extent. Now, we're, we're very good at measuring the carbon footprint of the, the buildings in operation. Um, to a quite ludicrous extent, actually. And um, we built ourselves a very detailed spreadsheet where you can say, okay, to what standard do you want this building to perform? Well, I want it to be net zero carbon, or I want it to be passive house, or I want it to be EPCA rated. There's, there's all different ways you can measure it. Okay, um, what sort of house is it? How big is it? Da, 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 da. Um, and okay, and then you can start trading things off. So, yes, we want to do things properly, but you, you're still running a business and you still need to make it work. So you, you've set your end goal. And then you say, well, there are multiple ways to achieve it. So do you add more insulation into the house? Do you, are you looking at the air tightness of the house? Are you, are you saying, well, we don't worry about those things too much. We're just going to put more solar panels on the roof. There are many different routes to get you to net zero carbon. Uh, and it's a question of saying, what's the most economically efficient way to do that? You know that you, the way you can still make a, a reasonable profit and you can carry this um, adventure on. So that and we've we've improved that even more now that that actually links directly to your cost base as well. So so the as well as saying this is the performance you're looking for and this is how you can achieve it, it also says well okay if you want to buy that that costs X or, or you could do this and that costs Y and and it, and you do so when you're assessing a future site for example you can be very very specific now with about all that all those inputs to give you whatever output you want. And um, to the best of our knowledge, nobody else is doing that. Certainly no one I've ever met is doing that. Uh, and we keep, I keep thinking to ourselves, you know what, we ought to turn that into a product because that's something that you could, that's a service you could sell to others, really, and say this is how this is how everybody improves. I mean, if we were really generous, we'd do like Volvo and just make it free, you know, and say, here you go, here's a spreadsheet, just input your data and off you go, you know, like they did with seatbelts and stuff. But, uh, now we, we, we can probably turn that into a natural product. So this is this is something, say, with the Derby University folks, where we could say, well, hang on a minute, this is something we could possibly work with you on uh, to try and turn this into something manageable that is that has both a financial impact but also very much the environmental impact. So that's kind of one thing in operation. Then there's the embodied carbon bit, which we I confess we've been much less concerned about up to now, um, partly because it's very difficult to really put a finger on it. So it's like if you're buying. You know, if you're if you're building a house out of timber and the timber comes from Finland, you think about the number of things you have to sort of weigh up there. Well, the tree obviously is sustainable. You've got to get it from Finland on a boat. 
you know, you've got to get it on a lorry from here. So where do you start and stop with all of that? If you use steel, where does your steel come from? You know, is it being, is it a modern steel factory where they can make it with electricity, which may be from, you know, um, sustainable sources, or is it, you know, a furnace where it's burning coal or whatever at 1500 degrees? I don't know. So you have to sort of zoom in on the things you, you can absolutely control. And that's kind of what the project with the university folks was all about, was to say, okay, what can we pick on where we can actually measure something and say, well, improve that and you're in business, you know, and that's what that's the work that they did for us. That's quite really interesting, actually, because the you, the conversation has gone kind of, there's two key things I want to pick up on there. The first thing is, so many of the businesses that we're talking to about lowering their carbon impact, it's actually within their organisation in terms of the manufacturing, the producing and the doing of what they do. Um, and then there's a second thing that you mentioned there about supply chains. So it's interesting that, you, that in terms of the operations of your business, the day to day, you're super, super lean and you're running from homes. So it's almost like looking at how you work from home in terms of learning carbon. Um, but actually, it's the thing that you produce is the thing that's having the biggest impact on the planet is actually the properties that you make and, and how you're doing it, how you're offering your services and what you're building. You picked up on an interesting point there about supply chains as well. And actually, you know, it's not just about your day to day. It's actually wherever you buy your materials, your the way you construct things, everything, the, the supply chain that you use. Um, so there's two things there, and I think we'll touch on both of them on the next few questions as we go into different sections. I suppose the last part of that section there, um, just very quickly, are, are we uh, time-wise? I, I think we'll probably go slightly over half now. Is that all right? Because I'm looking at the clock behind you. You're all right. Yeah, yeah. cool. Brilliant. Um, I suppose it's about any advice that you can give to businesses from your own experience, how businesses can lower their carbon footprint but also be profitable at the same time is there any advice or anything advice that you can give to businesses well um i would say in our case it's i mean we may be fortunate now because in terms of you know how do you make a unique selling point out of being low carbon how do you make that your your thing i mean if it's a straight case of you're producing widgets in a factory and you can both say, okay, well, if we, if all our energy to make our widgets comes from the solar panels we bolt onto the roof instead of buying it off the grid, then it's a pretty easy, um, it's a pretty easy formula to work out whether that makes sense to you or not. You know that that's that's good, and you see loads of businesses do that, don't you? Where they, you know, they say, oh, all our energy is locally generated and whatever isn't is, you know, comes from you know windmills in the sea or something. Um, so you can do that. I mean, in in our case, it, it's this current development that we're just doing so there's only two houses but it's a it's a a, a little bit of a you know of, of us finally nailing down exactly how to build to net zero carbon as opposed to building to just a very very good standard and the timing is perfect because it's right at the point when people's awareness of energy bills and how they are you know some very much in flux have really coincided so we've turned up to now we've always made a point of saying look we don't want to sell houses at an eco premium. It's not if you're selling to a first-time buyer, you can't say to them, "Well, look, you know, our house is the same size as the one built by, you know, PLC builder down the road, but it's an extra twenty grand because it's full of all this fancy stuff that will lower your carbon footprint." Because they'll be like, "Look, I'm struggling to raise money for a deposit here. You know, give, give me a break." So our aim was always to sell at the same price but have the extra features. And you, and like I said, you do that by being innovative. Now, I think we are, you are at the point where people will be prepared to pay 
you know, a, a maybe not extra, but certainly they're more likely to look at you before they look at anyone else. Because what we're saying to them is, say, look, that house down the road is going to cost you a fifteen hundred to two thousand pound a year in energy bills. Ours is going to cost you five hundred pound a year. So we're going to make you a thousand pound a year better off with it before you even start. You know, and the way we do that is because this house is so much more environmentally friendly because of how we've gone about building it. So there's a story to tell there. There's a sort of marketable proposition there, which has always been there for us, but we've always sort of tried to play it down a bit, you know, and, and now I think we're going to play much more on that. You know, the time is right because people are just so much more aware of it. You know, that, that, that's that's an issue. Um, and, and it's crazy in a way. It's actually, it's actually cheaper on this development for us to build to net zero carbon than it is to build to the lowest standard you can get away with and stick a gas combi boiler in. And that's that we've never had that before. Uh, and and th this is we've got a model here that others will follow because everyone's got to everybody bearing in mind who builds houses has to do this from 2025. We're only talking two and a half years away when you can't have uh, gas boilers in houses in new houses. So th there's a real need to sort of push the boundaries on all of that. You know that if you're going to have air source heat pumps, well, you, you can't just swap a boiler out for an air source heat pump. Because if your air tightness of your building, if your installation of your building isn't any good, all that's going to happen is your thousand pound a year gas bill is going to be a four thousand year electricity bill. Mm. You know, so you've got to do more to the fabric of the houses. So, so there's a real, there's a real story to tell there, which I'm quite keen to tell about. Look, you know, start from below the ground up. You know, it's, it's start in the ground, and what do you do to get to to level to, to the ridge line? And say here's my house and here how it works and that, and that actually was the big thrust of the decarbonized project for us was actually looking at foundations because that's your single biggest carbon footprint input which is your concrete because concrete is just if con was it if concrete was a country it would be the world's third biggest polluter you know yeah. after the americans and the chinese i think isn't it um apologies to americans and chinese people listening if that's wrong um so getting rid of concrete in the ground or, or substantially reducing the amount of CO2 that goes into concrete production is a really, really big deal. And we've been able to prove on this current project that we can do that. And that's a direct um, result of the work that the Derby University have done for us. It's We, we are living in the fortunate well, it's a fortunate time. Obviously, there's a, it's, a, it's a difficult time, but we're in the the positive thing is that the engineering, the science, and the technology is now at a point where it's it is cost effective, and then we know that cost and efficiency and um, effectiveness is is a driver for a lot of leaders. But that aside, we've talked about a lot of the things why leaders might not you know, won't change their habits or change, but what what are the motivators now um, for business leaders to be more ethical and sustainable? Are there any other things that reasons why they're more likely to to have a different mindset? Funnily enough, um, cost has become a real thing. I mean, material prices in construction, at least, have gone crazy. Sort of post COVID, just just ridiculous. You know, you're paying up to 100 percent more for things now than you were 12 months ago. So wherever you can save money, you, you, you've got to take that. You know, it's, it's, an e it's, a, it's sometimes a difficult sell to say, you should do this because it's good for the planet. I said, yeah, but so? Because it's a much easier sell, sell to say, you should do this because it's good for your bank balance because it's good for the planet. 
And, you know, that always gives you an in much quicker than, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, airy-fairy notion of, well, it's sort of good for someone else some, or something else. So, no, this is good for you right now, you know. Um, and, and, and you, you yes, you'll save money, which is a win. But actually what you can then do, of course, is go on about how wonderfully sustainable you are. You know, if you want to treat the whole thing as cynically as that, um, like I say, we do not. I hope we do not. But if you want to, if you want to go down that road, you can do it. I mean, give an example: is why does everybody in construction use concrete? You know, the simple reason is because it's so ubiquitous. You can get it from absolutely um, everywhere. You know, it comes. It's it's so cheap as a result. If you want to do anything else, it's a hassle. And you know, the you know the the concrete needs to be more expensive basically to force people out of using it and force them to look at more innovative ways um once you get to that point you start winning now if you start doing environmental taxes on co2 production and things like that you're going to start getting somewhere so there is business yes needs to incentivize itself and realize that this is what customers want now but fundamentally it's, it will come down to government actually mandating this to happen and you're starting to see this now in my line of work um, things like the no gas boilers in 2025 and the increased energy efficiency standards. And what we're all waiting for is to find out how everyone's going to cheat their way around the rules, because that's kind of my example earlier about, um, you know, how can I build to a better standard for the same money? Or I'll build to a lower standard for the same standard for less money and you know, all that. It's, mm -hmm. it's, there are always ways around of doing it. And so you need to promote examples. I think the problem, the biggest problem I think is that, is that, Nobody wants to take a risk on doing anything different. And, and the, the, the regulatory regime, not just from government, but things like the warranty people, you need a 10-year warranty, you need your building control sign-off, all these things. They're so welded to this is how we do things. They're trying to explain to them that we want to do something a bit different. They're, they sort of, you can get kind of classic sort of sharp intake of breath as a go, oh, I don't know about that, mate. Um, and, and actually, in we've, We've worked very hard with our warranty people and the building control people to try and say, look, we are a little bit different. We're, we're going to make sure you understand before you even come to the site. We're going to try and make sure you understand in advance what it is we're trying to do here. So nothing's a surprise to you. So nothing's like, oh, I don't know. But the, that, that whole sense of it's not what I'm familiar with, therefore it must be a bit experimental, therefore it probably doesn't work, therefore I think the answer is no just permeates through the whole industry. And the only way you break that cycle is, is um, you can wait for the culture to change and you'll be waiting for till doomsday. You have to make it happen. And, you know, market forces will make it happen. If customers demand it, if buyers demand it, brilliant. But ultimately, as well as that, you need government to say, we want these higher standards. Um, I mean, i tell you about the... Uh, for example, with this current foundation system that we've used, which uses a third the amount of concrete that a traditional foundation will, will use, um, you know, the, we sp I spent a lot of time with the building, with the warranty people in advance, saying we're trying to explain what we're doing, sending them all. So this is what you're going to see, um, and we did have to put steel in it, steel reinforcements in it, and this is a really stupid thing. Um, I won't do this again. This is a learning point for next time. But you make what are called cages, basically, out of lots and lots of funny angles. And what we should have done, of course, is had it all welded in the factory and just brought to site in bits so you could just plonk it straight in. Instead, we thought, oh, no, we'll just wire it all together on site, you know. And then you realise after a while that wiring it together is like literally the worst, most tedious, most horrible job going. And it takes days and days and days. It's like four days worth of labour. I thought, oh, I'm not doing that. Because four days of paying people, there's a cost. If you have it all spot welded in the factory in half an hour, 
there'll be a cost, but it's probably less than that. So I've just saved myself three and a half days labor. So again, I can put a cost on it. And so our intermediate solution was to use um, plastic cable ties because you can just go zip, zip, zip really quick. And I had to ring them all up and say, do you mind if I use plastic cable ties? And they kind of went, oh, um, well, I suppose. I mean, you're only trying to hold the steel in place until the concrete goes around it. So, oh, yeah, go on then. Yeah, oh, never heard of that before, but I guess so. And there's this kind of, they all have to go away and think about it, you know, and sort of ring me back and say, oh, all right. And that's just a tiny, tiny, tiny little example of multiply that out by a million different things. And you're sort of fighting the industry all the time to say, come on, we can do better than that. We can do, we can do better than that. And, you know, we're just trying to produce real life examples of how that works, which is why I like talking to people like you, because you can say, look, here we can do it. Come and talk to us. We'll show you how we did it. If, if you can learn anything from us, if we can learn anything from you, brilliant. You just mentioned a really kind of a, a great little innovation there, or a great little idea. And you mentioned earlier about new innovation and new ideas, which actually leads me on to my next question really well. What trends are you now seeing in your sector uh, with businesses turning more sustainable and using low carbon business models? Is there any new innovation and trends that are coming out of this? Um, there are, but you're not really seeing them in any of the mainstream builders. I mean, you think about house building industry is an, is an oligopoly. It's like the energy business and the water business and all the same. There's like six big companies who build, you know, sort of 90% of all the houses or whatever the number is, but it's, you know, a lot. The number of smaller developers has, has shrunk dramatically in the last 40 years. Um and but but of course, as with all business, it tends to be the smaller developers who are much more interested in innovation, who will come up with the new ideas, which eventually will then get picked up by the bigger developers, either because they get the company gets bought and they take the IP with it, or they just go, well, that's an idea. So the big the big thing in our industry is what they call MMC, modern methods of construction. The very fact that you have to call it that is quite shocking, because what you're basically talking about is a factory production line. So uh, the, the development we did previously, uh, the houses were built like motor cars. You know, there's a massive, massive shed, raw materials going at one end and entire houses emerge at the other end, completely finished inside and out or 98% finished inside and out. Uh, and it's an amazing thing to witness because you, you, you have steel that comes in, they assemble it into a chassis, they stick it on some um, train wheels in effect, they've got train tracks in the ground, and they station number one builds the builds the chassis. It gets pushed to station number two only after whoever's in charge of station number two signs it off to say I'm happy that station one have done it to my satisfaction. Push it on. They do something else. They do something else. So it's just like a car assembly plant. Uh, and the people who run these places are basically ex-car industry folks who, who understand all of that intimately. They've been doing it for oh how long? When did Ford? When did Henry Ford build the Model T? When was that? Like a hundred years ago. Um, house building is a hundred years behind the car industry, basically. You know, that that's that's how far behind we are. And, and so they're calling it MMC, modern methods of construction. So well, it's not modern in it literally any other industry going. But okay, fine. And and the. The great beauty of doing it in that way is um, the quality control is just so much better than anything you can do on a building site, any any building site of any size, because you've got everybody working for the same employer under one roof. You've not got subcontractors who don't care about the next trade or don't care about the previous trade coming in and out, white vans parked everywhere, you know, health and safety, you're struggling to keep up and police it because everyone's got their own idea of what is and isn't safe, all of that stuff. 
you know, all of which adds cost and time and, and hassle to a build project. If you build the thing undercover in the dry and you get it sealed up and you stick it on the back of a truck and you send it to site, we put nine houses up in five days. Um, and you've never seen anything like it. It's, and the houses internally are almost entirely done. Basically, they plug together. Just like the electrics in your car, there's a bit. There's a wiring loom upstairs that plugs into the wiring loom uh, coming from the consumer unit, which is in the bit of the stairs when they just return around. So the three little steps, you've got the main staircase and there's three steps there. That bit gets fitted on site. And then on the outside, they have a little bit of soldier course of fake bricks that kind of hides the join. And that's your house. And it's and it's amazing. And you just order it in advance, like you would a car saying, Well, I want air conditioning, I want you know Bluetooth, I want CD player. This is just I want white on the walls and I want this kind of kitchen and that bathroom tap. And and you really ought to be able to, you and I ought to be able to go on a website and custom design our house from a standard set of you know basic chassis and say, that's the house I want. When can I have it? And you're just seeing people now starting to do that. And you know, we were one of the sort of early adopters of that. Um, at the moment, it's a bit of a one-size-fits-all. It's kind of five metres wide because that's what fits on the back of a lorry and is allowed on the motorway without you having to close the road and all that. But they'll get better at that as time goes on, and the cost will come down, and the quality will continue to be really high. So that's where all the excitement's at. And you've got you've got a lot of uh, private investment, um, pension fund investment going into those things because they're going to make a loss because the startup costs are massive. Uh, and I saw one the other day that says uh, one of these companies saying, well, we expect to be profitable in three years time. And, and here's our 40 million pound loss for this year. So it's if you can just get off the ground and get it to a significant enough scale, you've got the ability to build things at a way better standard than anything that's on the mass market today. And that's what we're excited about. Has there been any new innovations that you've been really impressed with that you've seen? Apart from that, uh, well, I tell you, let me tell you about the, um, I've got a particular obsession with foundations. Oh, forgive me, but, you know, there's such a crucial part of building a house. Um, we've just used a system, uh, feel free to cut this bit out, but it's by a company called Build Light uh, up in Yorkshire uh, called Future Found. And essentially, it's a giant polystyrene box. Um, and well, it's EPS, which is a you know, very dense form of polystyrene. And you know how you normally build a foundation for houses that you'll come along, you'll dig, you'll get a digger in, you'll dig a massive strip about a meter or so down all around the perimeter of the building. You'll pour a ton of concrete into the, into the thing, fill it up to the level. Then you'll get your brickies in, you'll start building up some walls until you get to what's called FFL, finished floor level. And then you start building your house on top. This system, you dig down a bit, half a meter, maybe at best. You plonk a load of stone that you would use under a road uh, on it flatten it all down um, and then you start assembling your polystyrene and it basically creates a giant well you put some steel in around the edge to take the load of the walls and then half a day later your concrete wagon comes in you get it mixed on site so you only use exactly what you need you don't pay for more than you need so you're not having to waste it and they tip the concrete in you flatten it all off and if you were very very efficient you could probably do all of that in a week if you're a normal foundation would take you well, it would take you considerably longer than that. You'd have a lot of manual handling, big beams, blocks, insulation, concrete mixer going all the time, people all over the place, cost, time, CO2, all of that, absolute nightmare. This system is one day's worth of concrete. It's a third the concrete. 
Um, so you can actually tangibly measure what your the difference in your carbon footprint from using that system versus doing it traditionally. And the end result was absolutely brilliant. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful result. Really, really good. Not only that, though, but not only using less concrete, but it's a much better system from an energy efficiency point of view. So when you actually build the house on top of it, the homeowner is getting a much more um, uh, environmentally friendly house, basically. It's the, the, the way that the floor, you lose 20 or percent of your heat through your floor. Everyone teaches you in school that heat rises, yeah? But heat does also fall. It falls diagonally through your floor like that, you know, through the, through the corner where the wall meets the, the floor. So unless you get that bit right, you're really stuffed. So just things like how those things interact is, is, is very, very important and very, very clever. Um, so, but that is only a halfway house for what we really want to do. Uh, and this was the, um, the University of Derby report. We asked them to look at that system, compared it to a traditional foundation system, and then to something called screw piling. So this is basically um, glorified tent pegs, I suppose is one way of looking at it. Imagine a giant screw made out of stainless steel, that, and you just screw it into the earth until the earth says, I won't let you screw into me anymore. That's it. That's your house. Um, so think about it. Imagine if you had to dig a trench that was 600 mil wide by a metre deep by nine metres long. And instead, you didn't have to do any of that. You didn't have to pay for a diesel truck to come along and take that earth away, having dug it up using a diesel powered digger and then have it dumped somewhere. All you do is turn up with four of these piles, one on either corner and a couple in the middle and a great big bar. And you just turn the thing until the pressure reading says, that's it. And you get them all nicely leveled off and you stick a beam across all four carry on all the way around the perimeter of your house, job done. You can make the stainless steel in a factory that uses um, uh, sustainable energy using electricity. Um, you can completely just completely get rid of any muck away, you screw the thing in the ground. There's no soil to cut away. There's no concrete to generate. Fabulous. So why haven't we used that, I hear you say? Because of everything I've already referred to is that you try to get these things warranted, insured, all the kind of stuff, get the mortgage providers to recognize them as acceptable. And they're all, again, sharp intake of breath. Oh, don't know. Oh, sounds a bit risky. And then you say to them, you do realize that these things are 10 a penny elsewhere in the world. Like the Netherlands build almost every house like this. You know, the Canadians do it all the time for fun. We're the outlier. It says, oh, yeah, but that's foreigners. We don't know about that. We have our own systems. You know, so our big challenge now is, and this may well be very much working with the universities to say, can we can we find a business in this country that can make these things, get them through the warranty process, get them through the insurance process, get them get the council of mortgage lenders to say we're not going to have an issue with a house built in this way, and actually turn this into a real life saleable product where you can genuinely pitch it to say, look. You can eliminate, almost eliminate your carbon footprint. You're going to be incredibly quick. Think about it. We, I just said that the system we're using now takes us a, might take us a week to do. This is you measure this. You measure the screw piles in hours. You know you could do you could do an entire state in in a week. You know and just you're done. You know I mean this is this is where we should be going. And of course, us as a tiny business, we can't do all this on our own. We need people to work with who can do this for us. So that's that's the next stage is to turn that into a reality. Now whether we can or can't, we don't know, but we'll give it a try. 
Well, the, the, that's amazing. And these new types of innovations, are you are you in the cusp of seeing new markets emerging now? Oh well, the thing the thing with that is very simple: is is that that the, the time for that kind of product is absolutely there because, well, as my chairman said, my my chairman used to run a company that built oil rigs, and he said he said says to me, Martin, in the nineteen eighties, we were sinking oil rigs into the North Sea bed. In using screw piles so i'm pretty sure you can probably do it for a house in the 2020s you know since, since the, the i can't think of many places in the world where the forces being exerted on the structure are greater than the north sea in the middle of winter said so, yeah he's kind of got a point there isn't he you know so there's a perfect example of if you can get that if you can get that through all those kind of government mandated processes the regulatory body processes it's a it's a no-brainer because you say, look, this is going to save this is going to save every house builder an absolute fortune. It'll save a, it'll save an absolute mountain of CO two. From a cost point of view, it's going to be vastly cheaper than doing conventional footings. There's just no question about it. So there's a, there's an absolute open goal there for somebody who, who can see that one through from start to finish. It's just a question of committing to doing it. Uh, and see so if you can find someone who can really grasp that. We're just one small, very small business doing that. We we are maybe not those people, but we would definitely like to be part of that process. And we've kickstarted that off because I say the 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 university project has concluded unequivocally that from a planetary point of view, your metal screw piles are far and away the best thing to do. So we have that written down. We can prove that for definite. So okay, now the next phase is to say who can we now partner with to turn that into a business reality? Because we know that the 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 market for that is potentially, you know, 250,000 new houses a year. You know, it's that that's what we build in this country, roughly. You know, it's it's every time. And that's just houses. I mean, think about every every kind of structure you put up. Think about all those sheds appearing down the motorway, you know, for you know, you know, various online retailers who shall remain nameless. Um, you know, they, you could do any structure in that way, theoretically. So it, that really is the way to go. That is the perfect ma- uh, mixture of good for the planet good for the bottom line amazing um i'm going to jump on actually what you said earlier on in the early conversation about supply chains because although you know you can be doing everything right your end but it really is you know you look you need to look at the the, the supply chain of of the people that you use within your um within your, your products and your manufacturing yes are, are you seeing supply chains developing and changing with the influence of companies trying to be more earth friendly or turning to earth friendly innovation it's it's um it's a difficult. I mean, I think the answer to that is no, not really. Um, it's it's a it's a tricky one to say. It's like, I mean, I th- I'm trying to think of a sort of obvious example. I mean, take something like loft insulation. Every now and again, you think I really must top up my loft insulation, you know. And we've gone from that stuff that made you itch like crazy. It was basically fiberglass, not a terribly sustainable product. Now you have the stuff that's made by some random artificial means that doesn't really make you itch anymore. So that's progress. But what we really want is lamb's wool. And we do have a lot of sheep in this country. We're going to, there's not really much of a shortage of them. Um, and that's a really good insulator. So, you know, can you produce that kind of stuff on, on you know, at scale are there enough sheep in this country to uh, to divert into making insulation so you could use that you know uh, but fi- trying to buy that stuff is really difficult you you cannot go to your builders merchants if you went to b&q or you know other retailers are available you know and said you know can i have you know 
you know, completely sustainable loft insulation. They're kind of looking at you and say, well, no, you can have this stuff. Uh, so, and you can multiply that out over multiple products. It's, I mean, we've, we're, I guess we're a little bit sensitive to where stuff comes from, certainly sort of post-Brexit. It's, you know, is stuff being made in this country? Are the raw materials coming from this country? Because then the chances are that you might actually get it. You know, because it's, we don't, we're not very good at timber, for example. Like they, the Scots grow an awful lot of potentially suitable timber, but bizarrely, they've never gone through the certification process to say you can use this timber in houses. Um, and there's because again, there's been an historic belief that well, it's not really strong enough. It doesn't really pass. And there are various tests for how strong these timbers have to be. And we know the Scandinavian stuff. We know the Russian stuff is brilliant for that. So we'll just import that because we can. It's easy. It's just like getting it from down the road, you know. Um, and now there's a bit of saying, well, actually, hang on a minute. You know, we need to be for foresting up the country, you know, the highlands and bits of Wales and places like that. It's probably a good thing. Uh, but actually, if you forest it up and you can then harvest it, now that may take 10 years, 20 years to grow the stuff. But if you can use that for something other than fence panels, which is basically what they use it for now, um, we can actually make structures out of it, then that's surely got to be better, right? So again, you know, the, there's some movement in that, but it's very, very early days. And it's, again, it's very sort of specialist and nerdy and hard to do. I mean, the classic one, I guess, is heat pumps. So the government wants us all to be um, come off gas and go, go on to heat pumps, which are powered by electricity. And the, their own experts say they want 600,000 of these things fitted a year. Well, there's a slight problem there that last year we fitted 30,000. Uh, right, okay. And even if we wanted to fit 600,000 a year, you have to make the thing. So where are they going to get made? You know, uh, do we have anything like that kind of manufacturing capacity to churn out 600,000 heat pumps? No, we're not even close. So... As demand for those things rises, unless production ability keeps up, either from here or from abroad, then of course, what's going to happen? Supply and demand, the price will rise to the point that nobody wants to buy them anymore. And you'll kill it off before it, the industry has a chance to really get going. So what you need is government to say, we're going to invest really heavily in not just saying we want to see you know, sustainable forms of energy. And, not, and we actually have to say, we're going to have to pick a few winners here and say, we're going to put the effort into manufacturing capacity of heat pumps. And, of course, into the ability of people to fit them. So say, if, you, if anybody asks me what job shall I do, if you're coming out of school now, I just say, be a heat pump installer. Train as a plumber slash electrician. You will not be out of work for the rest of your working life. Because if we're going from 30,000 a year of these things to six to 300,000, whatever it was, I said 600,000 a year, somebody has to be qualified to fit those. And we don't have anything like enough people. And the people we do have qualified all tend to be older and they're going to retire. You know, so we need we need a concerted national effort to get us to that point. So it's not just about saying, oh, it's, it's not enough to say we're going to just ban gas boilers in three years time and it'll all be fine because it won't. Because unless you have the ability to actually fit and make the things you want in their place, then you're kind of stuffed. You know, uh, so, yeah, best intentions is lovely, but you've got to grapple with that and go for it. And it can't just sit at the margins where people like us are going, well, we'll fit them because we think it's right. It has to be adopted on scale by the mass by the big builders. I think what you just said there as well le leads actually really nicely into the, the previous question about new markets, talking yes. about what new markets are developing. And, you know, yeah, yeah, how we heat our house um, is going to is going to be huge in that. Um, we're actually on the last section now. So thank you for your time. It's been amazing. Um, no worries. But you, you've actually jumped on this multiple times in this conversation, but it's about collaboration. And in your industry, 
how how do you want to see organizations collaborating together how can they work together to everyone to work together to shift to net zero it's, it's a good question it's it's that what i was telling you earlier about the factory built houses um the uh, uh, somebody described them to me as ip islands you know and that everyone's very precious about this thing they've come up with uh the different the issue being that they've all basically come up with the same thing. So they're not really any difference. So now there are a couple of national organisations, sort of trade bodies have set themselves up. It's, it's very early days for them. And what they're talking about is sort of interoperability. So if you if you get a site and you, and you say, well, we're going to buy the product out of the factory from company X and company X went under or were unable to fulfill the order, it said, well, that's not an issue because I can go to company Y who understand that and can build the same, basically build the same product you know, from the same pattern book, if you like that. It's kind of, it's, I guess it's a bit, it's probably a bit like in, say, the Second World War when it was like, you know, we need to churn out planes left, right and centre. So they just sent the designs to the car factories and whatever you and said, figure out how to make this. And they all just went away and figured out how to make it. And that's really a, a big issue is about how do you get a kind of standardised way of doing it? Because if you think about it at the moment, the, the big builders have their kind of standard house types, but they're still built as if they're being built for the first time. They're still built on a building site by a bunch of people who may or may not know each other. You know, I mean, you wouldn't build a car that way, would you? I mean, it'd just be fatal. But um, they, they, you know, we, we st- standardization is a really important thing. And to do that, you need companies to kind of reach out and talk to each other and, and be a little bit less afraid of sharing ideas. And then you need people like us who are the customers of those kind of producers to say, this is what we want from you. We you know we, you have to be able to do this because we think it will lower your costs because you can learn from each other. And so you're all fighting for a, a slightly bigger slice of the pie and your your element of the pie, the overall 250,000 houses a year, is, is growing because more people want to buy houses that come out of the factory than that are built on a you know windy building site in the depths of winter. So it's like, so it's a rising tide that lifts all boats in that respect. Uh, so getting people into that mindset is a tricky one. And again, we're small, we can't really do it. What we can do is talk to other small housing developers like us, and we can learn from each other a bit. We can potentially share, we could buy sites together and develop them so you get a bit more scale. But what we really need to do is find companies out there, mill who are able to build the products like the screw piles or the air source heat pumps and put them in collaboration with the universities and we can say we're the we're the customer you're the maker you're the research body and between us we can figure out how to scale all this and trial it and demonstrate to people that it works and and you know you might understand it's a slow burner but you know you have to start somewhere so you know at the risk of mixing my metaphors up it's you know we're at the top of the hill and we're kicking the snowball down and we're kind of 10 foot or so down the hill and it's starting to get bigger you know, and we just need we need a bit of help to push it, get it, give it some bit more momentum. Project. Okay, so for any business out there who who want to reduce their carbon footprint, they're kind of on the fence. They're not really sure what they're doing or what to do. Um, how do they? How can they? How can they get closer to a net zero operation? And, and if, is there anywhere that you can signpost them? Is there any, anything that you've seen out there that you found super useful? Um, I mean, simplest thing to say is if you happen to be a a small or for that matter a large house builder just come and talk to me you know we, we're not we're not precious about what we know you know we'll happily share 
any amount of stuff that we know that we can be helpful. It's it's very unlikely that we're going to be in direct competition with somebody for a site, particularly if there's a small developer in Yorkshire or in Cornwall or something like that. We're not going to be on their turf and they're not going to be on ours. So there's no reason why we shouldn't just tell them everything we can possibly tell them. Um, I mean, that's not the most efficient way of doing it. We should probably turn that into a fancy spreadsheet, like I was saying earlier, where you can just input all your data and it spews you out an answer about what to do. Um, and this is part of the problem. You see, certainly in my line of work, there isn't really a central place where you can go and say, please help me do this. It's very much up to you to go and figure it out for yourself. You know, and there, there are there are companies who will advise homeowners about how to improve the carbon footprint of the house. Um, you know, there are there are national organizations like the Energy Savings Trust, for example, which you can tap into are very good. Um, but in terms of just straight business, I mean, I, I'd say probably the best people in our part of the world are the uh, local enterprise partnership, D2N2, where we are. Um, now, they're quite proactive in terms of saying, look, we've got business advisors who will take you on a bit of a journey and we can signpost you to where you can get grants and things like that. Um, I know some of the universities, for example, will run grant schemes for small businesses where you say, if you come up with a decent idea, you know, we'll, we'll give you half the money towards a project as long as we can study it and, and learn from it. So they're usually your best plus. I'd say certainly if you're in the um, anywhere in the East Midlands, I'd say go to D2N2 would be my starting point. You know, um, go to your local local enterprise partnership and see where that takes you. Brilliant. Martin, I think actually what you said then is the best thing to do, speaking to other businesses, speaking to like-minded people, people who are out there in the trenches getting it done, literally, you know, getting their hands dirty and doing these things because there isn't, a source where we can all tap into the the best advice and we're getting this on this podcast are people like yourself who are just out there trying stuff doing things making mistakes having some successes and passing it on so no uh, thank you and we'll, what we'll do is we'll put your details and information your website and so on on the show notes and everything and if people can pick it up and check out what you do go to your website and find out but amazing thank you so much that's been awesome no 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 worries at all Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Low Carbon Business Podcast is brought to you by the University of Derby. Thank you to all our partners. The show is produced by Seed. Audio by Guru Music. Please remember to like and subscribe and leave a review on the platform you're listening to this on. To get in touch, contact us using the links in the show notes. We'd love to hear about your business, project or idea. Save money, protect the environment and re-energise your business. This is the Low Carbon Business Podcast.